Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 206, I'm going to be resharing the episode from one year ago today with Dr. Bruce Lipton. The reason I'm specifically sharing this episode again, not only because it's been a year since we were joined by this great, great human, but because the powers that be on a well-known video platform decided that something that Bruce said within the episode needed to be removed because it breached some form of standards. Well, here we go. I'm sharing it again because there is so much truth that is coming out in the world which Bruce was saying all along. It's episode 206 with Dr. Bruce Lipton, internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. He is a stem cell biologist and the best-selling author of The Biology of Belief. I hope that you enjoy this conversation second time round and if this is the first time you've ever listened to Dr. Bruce Lipton, listen very carefully. There will be some things that no doubt challenge the world perspective. It might challenge your own perspective. Lean in with curiosity and I hope that this conversation expands your heart and your mind and helps you take the power back. It's 206 with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Dr. Bruce Lipton, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you? Ryan, I am so happy to be here with you and our audience because it's a wake-up call for the world right now. And so thank you for giving me a little platform to say hello to the world. Uh, it's honor and privilege is all mine. And um, I'm going to start fast-paced, if that's okay with you, and then I'll give our audience a chance to circle back and hear some of your, your concepts. But I listened to the wisdom of yourselves, and, and in it you said that the future of leadership is mammalian. Um, and it's fractal geometry that kind of gives you the confidence to say that and to predict that. I'd love to know, you can see here, heart-centered leadership is what we're all about here, always better than yesterday. Oh. Explain to me how you came to that conclusion. Oh, okay, well, fractal geometry is how you put structure in a space. And all of us everywhere, probably every listener on here has taken what is called Euclidean geometry when they went to school. That's the one with the triangles, the cubes, the spheres, the physical structures, and we did all that stuff. And I go, but try and make nature using that, that geometry. You know, when we were kids, we made a tree like a Christmas tree was a triangle with a stem on the bottom, you know, <laughs> or something very simple, but it doesn't replicate nature. And uh, at about early 1980s, uh, um, Benoit Mandelbrot at IBM uh, was using a fractal equation in a supercomputer at that time. And I go, what do you mean? I go, a fractal equation is uh, an, an equation that goes on into affinity. I go, what the hell does that mean? I go, well, give you, here's a fractal equation. Take a line, cut it in half. That's the, that is the formula. Now, how you do it is you take a line, you cut it in half, and then you repeat that again using the half. And you put it back in, you cut that in half, and you get a quarter. And then you cut that in an eighth. And I say, well, how many times can I cut that? I say, infinitely, down to atoms. You can keep cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting 
uh, and, and it repeats itself. That's the most important part because it's the same equation. Take a line, cut it in half. Repetition in that equation brings one of the most important insights to our world, and that is this. Using fractal geometry, Mandelbrot found out he could throw a, an equation into a computer and print out a fern plant, uh, a snail, a uh, tree, a uh, river. Uh, and I say, well, why, why is this so important? And the answer is this. The structures in nature actually are, are created by fractal geometry. So they're repetitive issues. Uh, uh, like uh, if you look at a river and you got all the little tributaries to it, and then I say, uh, look at it a little bit farther away and you got the main river with then the tributaries. And, I, and every time you look at it, it's like the same structure. Even if you get to the small little creek, there's, there's also little tiny creeks coming in. So it's a repetitive pattern. As above, so below is a mathematical principle in fractal geometry. So whatever is made out of fractals, it means that the structure at any one level is very similar to the structure at any other level. Uh, they use an analogy, they use a Russian Maestroska dolls which are wooden, wooden dolls and you open up one and inside is another one that looks just like the, the first one, but it's smaller. And you open that one up and then there's another one inside. And I say, you can keep opening these up and they're smaller, smaller. The smallest one has the same characteristics as the largest one. Mm. As above, the same character up here is the same character down here. That is a principle. So I say, what does that mean? Then I say that nature is repetitive in its pattern and that there are a pattern that we're all familiar with is let's say the vertebrate pattern mm -hmm. fish were the first vertebrates then amphibians reptiles birds and mammals and i go fine and i go but human civilization is a coherence of cells coming together to create an organism called civilization and i say as civilization evolved it went through the same patterns that vertebrates went through a ref reflection so the first human cultures were fish cultures. I go, why? Because they all had to live at the water. That was the only way they could survive. So in fact, they they navigated the whole world by being at the edge of the uh, of the continents and then taking boats and going to the edge of the other continents. And, uh, uh, and thousands of years ago before we even, in our conventional understanding, uh, going back in history, find my God, thousands of years ago, uh, people were, were taking boats like from uh, Egypt to Australia. <laughs> uh, and this is over 10,000 years ago. So I say, so they were mariculture, meaning they lived at the sea. But once we developed enough technology to go inland, make a well, a viaduct, whatever, then the populations moved from the coast inland. They took the water with them. That's an amphibian. Amphibian starts in the water, but takes the water and goes on the land with it, okay? And then I go, then what? I say, well, the next level of agriculture, that's what it was. So first is mariculture, then agriculture. And then I say, but the next level of human organization uh, was more reptilian. I say, what's that? They're machine-like. As a matter of fact, reptiles are almost like digital when you see them move. And I go, it was the industrial age that we became like reptiles, okay? And, and it's interesting because we always talk about the industrial age is fueled by oil. Like, so 
And where does oil come from? <laughs> yep. The dinosaurs. And I go, what are they? And I go, those are the reptiles. So our, our whole civilization is using the blood of the dinosaur and its character is dinosaur. Very, you know, take everything you want, rip it all out, do what you want. And I say, that was cool. It got us to this point. And then I say, but along the way, the reptiles even took a branch off that they took their machines and learned how to fly. Mm. And, oh, so we went, let's go back. Started with mariculture. Then we went to agriculture. Uh, so I go, we fish, amphibian. Reptile was industrial age, okay? And then from the industrial age came aviation. So it was the aviation age. And I go, and what happened in aviation? I say, well, in 1969, we left the planet and flew to the moon. And I go, that was the full extent of aviation. Take our flights, go to the moon. I said, what happened when we got to the moon, 1969? I go, well, people had the first opportunity to see the earth looking back from the moon. And I go, what happened then? Well, that was the age of the hippies, 1969. I go, what, what were the hippies about? Take care of yourself, take care of the kids, take care of the environment. I go, that's called nurturing. Nurture the kids, nurture the environment, nurture ourselves. I go, nurturing, that's the character of what are called mammals. That is in their definition, nurturers. So we went from uh, fish, mariculture, then we went to amphibians, agriculture, then we went to reptiles, industrial age, machine-like things. Then we went to aviation and birds. And then from birds, the next level of humans was to see the planet from a distance and say, oh my God, that's all there is. We have to take care of it. Oh, take care of it. That's called nurturing. So the evolution is pushing us now from the industrial age where the oil is running out. The system is collapsing, just like mm -hmm. dinosaurs, it's collapsing. But the only way to preserve ourselves is to start nurturing ourselves and nurturing the planet, take care of it, because uh, we've created a, a mass extinction with our behavior mm. by undermining nature. You so, know, how do you get out of mass extinction? Like I say, you better start coming back and loving nature and start taking care of it because nature is pushing us out. Why? Mm. We've upset the garden. We're collapsing the web of life by human behavior. So we're given a choice right now. Do what you're doing and keep doing it. The end is not a thousand years. The end is less than a hundred years. The civilization we're in is gonna collapse. NASA has even identified the, the collapses. They call it an irreversible collapse of industrial civilization within the next couple of decades. And, and I go, what does that mean? It says, we cannot sustain the world by keeping taking the earth and taking it out and you know and changing nature it's not working so if we continue what we're doing the end is in a few decades so mm -hmm. now comes the, the the point when we hit the wall and said you can't do this anymore then it means you have to do something else <laughs> yeah you can't go this way you have to go some other way that going another way is a movement into evolution we have to change the nature of our civilization. Stop being users and destroyers of the environment and go back to the indigenous people who were here 10,000 or more years ago. And I said, well, what did they know? They said, this is a garden. We have to be gardeners. Mm -hmm. And we turned a garden into a battleground. Mm -hmm. I go, the, the, a garden is not a battleground, the height of cooperation, a garden, everything is working together. 
I say, mm -hmm. we have turned it into a battleground. So what's the destination? We have to turn around right now and start nurturing the planet, nurturing ourselves, stop mm -hmm. fighting. There is no battleground in a garden. It is a height of cooperation. This is what we're missing. And unfortunately, because now it's an upheaval. Yeah. Uh, and I say, and the upheaval is interesting because there's two polarized forces facing each other that they've done for the last uh, 10,000 years. I go, what are they? I go, right now uh, in this era, it's religion versus science. And the religious people say, come on back, because that was the old days. Let's go on back to the days of the Bible and come on back. Science are saying, no, come on, let's go forward into this way right here. And I go, uh, there's a struggle right now. It's happening. Uh, you know, whose attention, uh, who, who's going to get our attention, the, the spiritual people or the science people? And I go, well, right now, the science people took a jump. <laughs> I go, what do they do? Well, the, the, there's this pandemic. I go, what the hell is that all about? I say, it's a separation of humans. The pandemic is stay in your house, keep social distancing, don't get together. I go, evolution is come together <laughs> and form a community. And the COVID story is no, don't come together, you know, separate. And I go, in a simple point, Ryan, this is the conclusion why it's so simple. People only have power when they're in community. Yeah. An individual by themselves has no real power. Mm. Okay. You could go out in the street and say, I want peace. Mm. I get everybody goes, that crazy person out there, you know? But the point about it is if you get large numbers of people that say, we want peace, then large numbers of people have power to create that. Yeah. If you break the community down, People don't have power, but an authority does. Uh, and, you know, I mean, my God, in Australia, when the authority <laughs> cracked down, they put concentration camps up for, yeah. for people who didn't get a vaccine. Concentration camp. I said, wow, we went backwards really fast right there. So we're in a wake-up call. Wake-up call is this. We got to get our power back because we've given it up. And I said, why did we give it up? And the answer is so simple. Mm. Fear. Mm -hmm. fear disempowers people i say why if you're afraid and you're in fear then what are you saying just think about it i'm afraid of x i'm in fear of x i go what does that mean you don't have any power over x x mm -hmm. has power over you so now i'm afraid please x don't hurt me <laughs> and i go well th this this is the problem right here is because we as individuals have given up our power and let the big guys take care of it let the government take care of it. And I go, they're not our friends. <laughs> the, the government may have started out philosophically to be in support of us, but now they're in support of themselves. Mm. You know, the elected officials are, how much money can I make? Mm. <laughs> Where am I going? You know, look, look at all of them making money. And be, it's all based on money. How much money can you raise? How much money do you have? I go, well, then money is power at this point, right? And then I say, yeah, and 1%'s got the money and 99% doesn't have the money. I said, what does that mean? Well, if money is power and you're part of the 99%, I said, the simple point, you have no power. You have no power over your life. They'll tell you to put the mask on. They'll tell you not to leave your house and then they'll give you a, a, a warning and then they'll, they'll arrest you. I go, oh my God. <laughs> and, and I say, so why is this now an understanding point? It says, 
this is a challenge to evolution. If we don't have power, then we're controlled by forces above us. Uh, pharmaceutical companies, mm. government companies, they're all, the, the politicians, uh, I mean, America is supposed to be, oh, democracy, we're all going to have a voice. I go, the, for example, we had a vote for gun control regulation and the population, 90% of the population said, yes, let's put gun control paperwork in here. And the government said, no. I said, who the hell are they representing? 90% of the people said, put the controls on. The government said, no. I go, then the government is not speaking for us. I go, nope. They're speaking for corporations. Yeah. Uh, and corporations are the dinosaurs. I go, what do you mean the dinosaurs? Here, let's connect those back to our story. And I go, yep. how did corporations start? Oh, they started with little mom and pop operations, a little in the house, little home activity. Oh, but then they started selling some product. Oh, guess what? Now we have to have bigger operation. Now we have to have a bigger operation. So think about it this, the lizard is the small five inch version uh, as the start of the reptile. I said, yeah, but what it ended up, I said, 50 foot lizard. I go, it's the same model as the five inch lizard. It's a mom and pop shop that blew up into dinosaur proportions. And I go, so significance of that. And I go, because in the dinosaur, there's a small controlled little brain. That's why dinosaurs failed. They had a walnut sized brain and 50 foot body. Awareness dropped out. Yeah. So, you know, I always love it because General Motors was making something called the Humvee, you know, that military version thing. And when? When there was no fuel, we had a fuel, a fuel shortage. I said, and what did they introduce? Humvee. I go, yeah, five miles to the gallon. I go, huh? We got no fuel and you put a fire. That's a dinosaur thinking. Yeah. Dinosaur. And I say relevance is corporations have overtaken us. Corporations run government. And they don't care about us because uh, I'll give you the, the law. Let's put the law in here. I said, what is it? By law, a corporation's main function, number one, if you're going to list all the principles, what's a corporation supposed to do? Number one, make a profit for the shareholders. Mm. So that's the rule. If you're not making a profit for the shareholders, then you're violating corporate interest. I go, so why has that become important? Mm. And I say it becomes important now because where are they making a profit from? Mm. Ah, they make mm -hmm. it from us. Mm -hmm. Okay. So do they care about us or do they care about the money? And the answer, they don't care about people. They care about the money. Uh, I mean, I, I'm so familiar with so many drug executives and I, uh, here's a true story. This is how they figure it out. They come up, new drug, let's try it out. And they find, oh my God, some people die. And mm -hmm. I go, oh, you would think, oh, people die, don't, don't make this drug. Mm -hmm. And they're, no, no. They go and say, how many people die? And I go, what, why? How much drug can we sell? How many people die? I go, why is the significance here? And the answer is this. If I make enough money and a few people die, then that's okay. We'll just pay off the, the lawsuit because we're going to make tons of money here. So the fact is they will sell a drug knowing people are going to die. As long as they make enough profit, then I don't care about the person dying. And I say, that's where corporations and humans differ. Because at one point they say, oh, corporations are like humans. Give them the vote. Give them the right. And, and so, Ryan, here's, here's the problem with that, the monkey wrench in the machine. 
humans have morality. We're supposed to anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, don't kill things. <laughs> okay, uh, we're supposed to have morality, yeah. but corporations have no morality. Mm-hmm. They just have a mission. How much money can I make? That is the mission by law of what a corporation is. So I say, then that's why they can do anything. Let's destroy the environment if we can make enough money. And all of a sudden you start to see the leadership of this world is not really caring about what the individuals want. Mm -hmm. They want to appease the money making part. Mm -hmm. And then the laws come down and uh, and if if it conflicts with a corporate law, then screw the people, let's give the corporation their due. And that's Mm -hmm. once we gave up uh, and we said humans are like uh, corporations are like humans and have the power of a human. I go, no, they don't. They have no morality. They're nothing like a human at mm-hmm. all. Uh, and uh, and we gave them all the power. And this is a wake up call for all of us. It said, who's caring for you? You know, mm-hmm. I love that they always talk about the friendly banker. When's the <laughs> banker friendly? The banker is friendly when you have money. Yeah. If yeah. you don't have money, banker's not so friendly anymore. Doesn't care about you at all. Absolutely. You know, and I go, same thing, pharmaceutical company. You got money? We're working with you. Yeah, yeah I don't care about you if you have no money. Uh, and we lost. And so the evolution we're facing right now says we have been driven to this by a minds that have no uh, care for an environment. Mm. Take, take what you want, do what you want, throw crap into the water you know, all this kind of stuff, dig out the natural resources. Every, it's like, what's our future if you do this? And the answer is, it's already happening, extinction. Mm-hmm. We're not in harmony with each other, obviously, and we're not in harmony with nature. And I say, well, that you got two choices here. Follow the money or follow the harmony. Mm-hmm. And, and right now, unfortunately, this is a tug of war and corporates are winning because fear. Mm. Because once you're afraid, you give up power. Fear is a definition. I'm not, I'm afraid. And I go, well, then who's gonna help you? Who's got the biggest stick? Yeah. Who's the one with the biggest clout? Let's give them the power. And I'll wait here for them to fix it. And I go, they, they're clubbing you over the head at this point. Uh, and we have to wake up. I'm sorry, I went on a, a tirade a little that's bit. It, that's it. Let's wrap up. That was a perfect answer. <laughs> Let's call it a day there. No, I'm joking. Hey, my friends, thank you for being with us so far. I hope you're enjoying the interview. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about our signature heart print coaching. Our heart print coaching is for you. If you're ready to go all in on becoming a heart centered leader, ready to go all in on doing more of what you love, ready to see what you are capable of with support, guidance and accountability. You're ready to go on a rapid transformational journey that will change your life and others in as little as three months. Are you ready to show up with courage and share your gift with the world? Ready to start making an income and more impact by doing what you love? Ready to start leaving your legacy where those around you are left better than yesterday. In our Heartprint Signature Coaching, in our time together, I'll help you lead from your heart set. I'll help you develop other people and your team. I'll help you bring your heart work to the world. I'll help you start leaving a legacy and capturing examples of your impact. I will help you be someone you love, to do more of what you love, and to serve people that you love. 
it's an amazing opportunity for someone who's ready to go all in and be a heart-centered leader. I'll throw in loads of other bonuses, including your life languages profile, uh, access to our Master Heart and Mind membership, and even some always better than yesterday merchandise. Head to abty.co.uk forward slash coaching to find out more, and I look forward to connecting with you very soon. That's abty.co.uk forward slash coaching. Here we go. Back to the interview. That was an amazing answer. And, um, you know, I was listening very closely and it just reminded me that over the course of, you know, listening to your books and reading your books, like you've introduced me to a level of science and that I was never taught, you know, you know, the, the idea of Lamarckian evolution, for example. No. Oh my and, God, you're English. How could you, how could you do that? He was French. Absolutely, but you know, it's, it's <laughs> and that. they nailed them for that too. Okay, absolutely. And you know, when when you talk about the nature of evolution, isn't you know competition and survival of the fittest? It's actually collaborative in nature. And then when you, and then that quote you shared from eighteen oh nine, which talks about the end of human civilization will be the point where they disconnect from the the very nature that sustains it. It's just, it's a very very powerful realization. And and I guess this has been your life for uh, you know 30 40 years in in cell biology where 50 50 years you know great serve because you know uh, many people have looked at you I, I guess you use the word heretic that, oh yeah because i'm challenging the church the church of what whoever says whatever they think science is now uh, this is part that irritates the hell out of me because <laughs> With this pandemic, nobody recognized a, a little thing happened when nobody was paying attention. I go, what was it? Global government. Mm. What do you mean global government? I said, who set up the rules for the pandemic? A small little group of people, mm. including Fauci and Bill Gates. Mm. And I say, they, the whole world all of a sudden said, what do you guys want us to do? Mm -hmm. Okay, we should do this. Uh, so in India and in Africa and in England and in South America, US and Australia, what do you want us to do? And all of a sudden we did it. We locked up people and mm. we put people away from each other. And mm. I go, uh, why did we do this? Fear, they mm. sold it as fear. Mm. You know, there's an interesting article in the, in the um, uh, Guardian and you, you should know that paper, right? <laughs> the Guardian, it's a, it's a wonderful paper. Let me just see if I can just pull it up because I wanna read it to you. Uh, uh, very, oh my goodness, I got so many of them. I can't read it right now. I'll tell you what, let me tell you wh what the article said. Ready? They were worried because they wanted to get everybody to get the vaccine. And there were people who were not getting the vaccine. And this was from a, an excerpt from a government, British government advisory group on how to handle behavior in a pandemic mm -hmm. from the advisory group. And what was the reason, what was the suggestion from the advisory group? People are not afraid enough. Scare them more. Wow. And then tell them how to resolve the fear. I say, scare <laughs> them more. You're all going to die. But if you get the wow. vaccine, you can save your ass. And I go, wow. and they've been pushing that mantra. Uh, and the fact is this, the data does not support this. It's manipulated data. Uh, mm. And the irritation that really galled me the most was when Fauci stands up and he says, if you doubt me, you doubt science. Yeah. I go, 
Who the hell made you the Pope of science? There is no Pope of science. There's no one opinion of science. Science is a collective understanding where everybody contributes something. And he said, if you doubt me, then you're anti-science. And that's where all of a sudden the public, anybody who doubts this stuff is crucified in the public as being an anti-vaxxer, you know, uh, uh, you know, a throwback and they name you and they criticize you and they make you look like an idiot. Why? Because they pick the data mm. to say, this is our science. And I go, I have Bruce Lipton in my computer right now because I have the web science that they don't report. Mm. And the science they don't report says, don't do that vaccine, folks. <laughs> the vaccine is a terror. It doesn't freaking work. I go, why not? I say, well, they call it breakthrough. We got breakthrough COVID here. What do you mean breakthrough? Breakthrough simply defined means the vaccine does not stop this or infect it in any way. So mm. get more vaccine. Get another booster. Mm. Hey, it didn't work in the first place. What the hell are you going to get another booster to the same thing? It does not work that way. And the idea is, oh, we're just going to vaccinate everybody and then there'll be peace on earth. And I go, they also are beginning to learn a very important fact of biology, which I've been talking about years. And it's actually from Lamarck even. When environments change, the organisms adapt. Yeah. When the, anti, when the vaccine that Pfizer came up with started to influence it, organisms, when people were infected, when they copy the virus, there's two ways of copying a virus, the DNA, the nucleic acid, the code. There are proteins that copy the DNA. Well, there's two different proteins to copy DNA. Mm. One of them copies perfectly. You could have a million bases or those are the little chemicals in the DNA uh, in a gene. You can have a million and they copy the gene with this copy device and 99.99% of the copy is 100% accurate. You know, in other words, that's a perfect copy. And that way I replicate the virus, okay? But there's a second enzyme that's called a sloppy copy device, okay? Uh, because when it copies, it introduces variations into the code. Mm. I go, so why is that relevant here? And I go, and the answer is simple. Because if the virus, the standard one, runs up against the wall, one of the variants, Omicron, Delta, Mu, will alter the structure of the virus so that the vaccine has no influence on it. Mm. And all of a sudden I say, well, that's what happened. The variants, Omicron is a variant. Why is mm. it significant here? And the answer is this. When you make antibodies after you put a vaccine in, it makes it against the protein called the spike. Mm. And an antibody, people don't even get how perfect it is. It's a lock and key mechanism. There's the structure of the spike that's like the lock. The antibody is the perfect fit, like a key to bind to that. And when the antibody binds to the spike, it marks it for destruction. Okay. Mm -hmm. I go, great. And I say, then what? Omicron, Delta, Mu. I say, what happened? Oh, the variant changed the structure of the spike. I go, so mm -hmm. what? I say, you know, that antibody you made? it doesn't recognize the new version at all. Mm. And that's why I don't care if you got a vaccine or not. The new version is not affected by the antibodies created from the first vaccine. You have to 
create a new vaccine for every variant that shows up. And I go, I don't care how many times you make a new vaccine, nature's going to make a new virus. <laughs> That's the way yeah. it always has been. My, um, so my, the vaccine my, is useless. My son came, <laughs> there's the one liner there, isn't there? The vaccine's useless. My son came down with COVID just before Christmas. And, and uh, Bruce, I had the belief that he couldn't make me sick without my permission. Is that a healthy belief to have or was that naive? Like, no. You, what's your perspective no. on that? The, the most uh, very significant part about this is your consciousness controls your immune system down to every degree. I'll give you an example. Uh, a long time ago, they were doing studies on uh, dissociation identity, uh, wh which is uh, multiple personality. I go, so what does that mean? I say, they found, now listen, that let's say I'm the subject. In my conventional personality, A, I have an allergic response to strawberries that I can get uh, actually sick and die from, get hives and, and go through an oversensitive response. Mm. And then they say, well, what? when that person's personality switched to a different personality, B, they could eat all the strawberries they wanted. Wow. I go, well, what does that mean? Just by switching from personality A to B, all of my antibodies to strawberries disappeared? I go, no, they're still there. Why? Because if you go from B back to A again, guess what? Strawberries will kill you. And I go, significance of this is when they change personality, they change the effectiveness of the immune system. Hmm. Okay, so now you're talking about does my personality affect if I'm going to get the COVID or not? I go, absolutely it does. And especially if you're in fear. Because when you're in fear, you shut down the immune system that opens you up anyway. Because the stress hormones from fear. This is, people, pay attention to this, ready? Mm -hmm. When a doctor wants to transplant an organ from person A into person B, an organ, heart, lung, kidney, whatever, okay? Remember that the organ from, from the donor is not genetically identical to the recipient. And the nature of the immune system is to identify things that are not necessarily yours in your body and eliminate them. Why? Because it's not you. So when they transplant an organ, the recipient's immune system wants to reject it. I said, so what do they do? And this is it. They give the patient stress hormones before the operation mm. because stress hormones shut off the immune system. And so this way they can do the transplant and the recipient's immune system is not going to reject it. So I go, what's doing this? I go, stress hormones. I say, watch the news. You already have shut down the immune system. And this is yes. the most important fact is fear gets you ready to run from that invisible tiger that's chasing you. Uh, and when you're running from the tiger, where do you want your energy? Just, you know, let's say here's a human body he's running from a tiger. Where do you want the energy? You want, should I grow more beard? No, no, don't waste the time on that, okay? Uh, you know, should, should I build some more, you know, body up and get some strength? I say, not now, man, you're running from the damn thing. Mm -hmm. So here's the point. When stress hormones are introduced in the body, they shut down functions that are not necessary, that are using energy. Mm -hmm. But I need the energy to run. So the point the stress hormones find whatever systems in your body that you do not need when running from that saber-toothed tiger, 
and shuts them off until after you escape the tiger. Because I'm going to use all of the energy to run away from the tiger. So stress hormones redirect the whole function of the body, not in from growth. When we're happy in a good place, we're in growth and taking care of the body, maintenance, fixing, cleaning, energizing, doing all that stuff. But when you're running from the tiger, it's like, nope, I want all of the energy to run away. So I shut down functions. I shut down growth and maintenance of the body. I go, how do you know? I tell you, because everybody's experienced it. When you start to get afraid, guess what? You feel queasy in the gut. You feel, they call it uh, butterflies in the stomach. I go, what's that? It's fluffy. It's not, something's wrong in here. I go, what's going on? Stress hormones shut off the blood supply to the gut mm. because it's not necessary to grow, digest food, you know, maintain the body. I need the energy to run away from the tiger. So when you feel that queasy, it's the stress hormones causing the blood vessels in the gut to squeeze shut. And that's where you get that funny feeling because then when the blood vessels are shut, it pushes the blood to the arms and legs mm. so I can run away from the tiger. So I go, okay, number one, in growth, my visceral functions are taking over and cleaning my body, maintaining it, fixing it, repairing it, and keeping me in good health. But in protection, I'm not going to use that mm. because I need the energy to go to my arms and legs because that's how I'm going to escape the tiger. Now comes the one I just mentioned just before. And I said, the immune system protects me on the inside. I got a bacterial infection. I'm being chased by a tiger. Which one do you want to have energy? You want to split the energy? I go, who cares about the bacteria? If the tiger catches you, the bacteria is not your problem anymore. It might be the tiger's problem by this point. And I go, so the immune system is shut down because how, how much energy does that use? I say, have you ever been sick? You may not have had the energy to get out of bed. I go, where's the energy? It's like the immune system, when it's working on something, will take zap the energy of your body to work and protect you. So running from the tiger, I don't need the immune system, so stress hormones shut that off. And then the last one, I, I always refer to this as an insult to the injury. You've just been injured by shutting off your growth and shutting off your immune system. I say, what else? The brain has the forebrain, which is thinking, and the hindbrain, which is reflex, okay? Thinking is slow. It's a slow process. Uh, I mean, so if I'm in an emergency situ situation, if I'm going to be thinking, it's like, uh, 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 I go, and I go, yeah, it, it's, it's going to slow you down. So the same stress hormones that cause the blood vessel uh, in the gut to squeeze shut, they squeeze the blood vessels in the forebrain, the thinking part. Hmm. But I say, why would they close those blood vessels? Because when you close these, you push the blood to the hindbrain for reaction. Hmm. Reaction's no thinking, man. <laughs> it's like instant, boom. Yeah. So what is the consequence of living in fear? A, you shut down your growth. B, you shut down the immune system. C, you shut down the intelligence to respond to whatever reaction I can do. Reflex, mm -hmm. reaction, no thinking. So we become less intelligent. <laughs> so I say, so when the government is suggested to make us more afraid, yeah. and they put on the statistics, you're all going to die. First of all, the, we shut down and go, somebody help me, <laughs> you know? And while you're waiting for this thing uh, to clear, 
you're dripping stress hormones in every day. Am I going to get food? Is my job going to still be here? Will mm. I be able to take care of my kids? Will I be able to pay the rent? Mm. Uh, and you start, every one of these questions releases a fear stress. It's yeah. like, I'm not going to make it. What's the long-term uh, effect the, of that? What's that? What's the long-term effect of, of that, living in that state of fear and stress? 90% of illness on this planet is due to stress. Yeah. Everyone thinks, oh, genes are responsible. Wake up call, you ready? Less than 1% of illness on this planet is connected to genes. Mm. 90% plus is stress. Because if you, the idea was, well, why would nature create a system that shuts itself down yeah. in the fear? And I said, when was it created? I said, when we were running away from a saber-toothed tiger. I said, what was relevant back then? And here it is. If you escape that tiger, five minutes of running, 10 minutes of running, you escape the tiger, guess what? No more stress. Yeah. So yep. it was only used for short intervals to run away from a tiger. Yeah. Now stress is 24 7, 365. Everyday stress. Can I get the food? Can I get the rent? Can I get healthcare? Blah, 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 blah. Mm. I go, at the end of the day, man, you've been running stress all day long. Yeah. And that's why the biggest problem on this planet is a healthcare crisis that affects yeah. about 90% of this planet. Yep. And I go, uh, and I say, what's the cause of it? Genes. No, no, that's where we put all our money in. Find the gene that causes this. Find the gene for alcoholism. Find the gene for this. Find the gene for that. And I go, no, there are no genes for those things. Mm -hmm. Cancer. I love it. What about my cancer gene? Ready? There's no gene that causes cancer. Not one gene causes cancer. Cancer is a result of 20 plus genes being turned on at the same time. I say, what's the chance of that being an accident? I go, no chance at all, man. That is a setup that cancer is a result of, of altering our, our growth into, into fear and anger and all those things shifts. And the result is it sets up a situation that supports a cancer gene. A cancer gene does not control anybody. Uh, Angelina Jolie gets a double mastectomy because her mother died of breast cancer. Her grandmother died of breast cancer. And she has the breast cancer gene, the BRCA gene. And immediately says, oh my God, I don't want to die. I'm going to cut my breasts off. And then I go, wow. 50% of the women that have the breast cancer gene never get the cancer. Mm. 50%. I go, so what does that mean? It's like having the gene does not cause cancer. Yeah. Having the gene in a lifestyle that threatens the harmony of the body opens the body for cancer. Mm. So all of a sudden it's like, we've been blaming the gene for cancer. I go, nope. It's our consciousness, our stress levels that cause cancer. And it has nothing... 90% or yeah. so apparently is the number of how many people get cancer with no cancer in their family. Wow. Where the hell did the cancer come from? Lifestyle. That's really powerful. And um, many of the listeners will be in leadership positions where they're able to uh, influence the environment with which people spend a lot of their time in, in the workplace. And, you know, there are there are daily stressors, whether it be the the inbox that's filling up and the task list, the deadlines, the shitty leadership style traits that um, certain people demonstrate, you know, power and authority. Where do they start? How how 
how do they start to use their heart-centered mammalian influence to be aware of some of this stuff, I guess, to start with, is understanding the impact of stress and, and, and how can they have a positive influence, shall we say? Well, the classic statement of truism that we've known forever almost is knowledge is power. Let me say the same thing that now applies to today's world. I say, a lack of knowledge is a lack of power. And I go, so what does that go from here? I go, you have been programmed to believe you're a victim, hmm. a victim of germs, bacteria, blah, 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 this and this and this. As I said, once you program yourself as a victim, you have given up power hmm. to more powerful people to help you avoid the being the victim. So then what have you become? Powerless. I say, where did this start? And I say, COVID story? I'll tell you where it started. Day one. I said, what does it mean? They came up with a statistic. Day one. COVID is a killer. It's going to kill millions of people in the U.S. They're going to kill over 2 million people in the U.S. I said, every year we have flu season. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, get your flu shot. Most people, who gives a damn, get the flu shot, whatever, blah, blah, blah. This year... You're going to die. It's like, huh? <laughs> and as soon as they put the fear in and they showed death and then they showed pictures of, you know, emergency rooms overrun and tents where they're going to serve people and all that. And I go, if anything, you're filling them up, those tents, because you're scaring them. Yeah. And when you scare them, their immune system shuts down and they're open to any damn thing besides COVID. They're open to everything at mm. that moment. Mm. And I go, it was fear. So if you want to change things, you have to say, well, how do I get rid of the fear? I say, well, the hard part now is find the real data. <laughs> the real data of this COVID story is a manipulation. Not that many people die. It's not even that much greater than the normal flu. But if I take a normal flu and take the population and scare them that they're going to die, then I'm going to exacerbate those numbers like crazy. Why? Because of the COVID? No because of the stress hormones from the fear of the COVID. So I say, I want to take my power back. And I said, well, then stop being afraid. Uh, 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 and it's very hard because everything is now, be afraid. Be afraid of who? Your neighbor. Why? Yeah. Oh, they didn't get the vax. I hate that person. Yeah. And in Australia, they say, put them in a camp. Separate them from the world. 2022. Crazy. It's crazy because this is what the Nazis did in Germany. How did they first round up the Jews? It, it wasn't on money or anything. They first rounded them up because they're unclean. Mm. Jews make disease. Mm. What do they do? Make a camp. Put them into a, a, a place. Put them all over here into yeah. this area and don't let them out. Because wow. if you let them out, they're going to bring the disease with them. So... The Nazi story started with what? Fear of disease. These people are unclean. Jews are unclean. And then therefore we must separate them from the population. I go, the vaxxed and the unvaxxed. The unvaxxed are the unclean. Separate them. Don't let them out of the house. I mean, even in Canada and Brunswick, that you know, they even stopped them from going to the supermarket. Nuts. You know, it's like at least there was enough compassion in other countries. It's like, okay, you can't go to the this store, you can't go to the concert, you can't go get the the bar, but you can go to the drugstore, 
the food market and the liquor store, the three that were open, they said, oh, if you're unvaxxed, you're allowed to go there because that's life, man. Mm. But then even in Canada, they even took that one away and say, no, if you're not vaxxed, you can't even go to the supermarket. I go, what the hell are you people doing? Yes, that's <laughs> And I just want to thank you for being so open and honest and, and so forthright with your, your views and your opinions. And, and um, you know, uh, you, you are changing lives with your, with your work and your insights. A very good friend of mine, Phil Walker, he had a, a brain injury. Yes. Um, and he was told that he'd never walk again. And yet he tributes your work to changing his life. This understanding of epigenetics um, Oh. within six to 12 months he was back bodybuilding competing again and uh, the only way he did that was because of his consciousness because most people by the projection of the doctor is true yeah. and yeah. if the doctor says you're not going to walk again do they even make an effort oh no i can't walk mm. i go if you say that to yourself then you're this is epigenetics yeah. let's just simply get what the hell does that mean i say all of us out here now have been programmed with a belief that genes control the character of our lives. Oh, cancer genes, this gene, that gene, and that the genes turn on and off and control our lives. I say, summarize, what is the meaning of that on the average person in the world when they hear this? And the answer is this, as far as I know, I didn't pick the genes I came with. And there's, mm. the, there's the character of my life. If I don't like the character of my life, I can't change the genes I came with. So I'm stuck with that character of life. And then on top of that, the genes turn on and off by themselves. And so you could be just walking down the street and today the cancer gene says, ah, cancer, let's have cancer. And I get it. I say, so put those together. I say, what is the consequence of the belief of that? And the answer is, I am a victim of my heredity. Whatever is passed down through my family, I'm going to get it and I have to live with it. I have no power. The genes did it by themselves. I'm a victim of my genes. Mm. And I go, okay, right? Clearing up and getting the facts. What is a gene? It is a molecular blueprint to make a protein. I go, okay, what does that mean? I go, proteins are the building blocks to make this physical body. Uh, uh, in my lecture, I refer to them uh, like a, a giant Lego kit a Lego kit with a hundred thousand different pieces with different pieces. And I said, and then you assemble it this way, you made a muscle cell. You take some of those pieces and assemble it this way, I made a brain cell. So the proteins are the pieces. The proteins have to be replaced. So you need a blueprint. The blueprint is the DNA. And I go, and here comes the whole thing where it falls down. You ready? Go into an architect's office and let's say she's working on a blueprint and you lean over her shoulder and ask her this question. Excuse me, is your blueprint on or off? As you look at, what are you crazy? It's a blueprint. It's on and off. It's a blueprint. Precisely. A gene is a blueprint. It has no ability to turn itself on. It doesn't know what the hell it's doing. It has no, you know, like awareness of my job is to know. I say, who's the architect that reads the blueprint? Mm. I go, oh, consciousness. And I say, then genes don't turn on and off by themselves. They're turned on and off by our consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I, I say, well, that's control above the gene. Here's the gene. 
here's consciousness. Consciousness is above the gene. Well, in the Latin of biology, epi means above. I go, so what? Like, what, what do I call skin? Epidermis. I go, what does that mean? Well, just below the skin is a layer called the dermis. And I say, so what does epidermis mean? Above the dermis, epidermis, skin. <laughs> now I say, old story. This character is under genetic control. What does that mean? Genes control this character. That's what we've been programmed to believe, okay? Now I say, no, that was the old science. The new science is called epigenetic control. This character is under epigenetic control. I say, what does that translate as? You ready? Control, epi, above, control above genes, epigene, epigenetic. I say, what's controlling above the gene? I go, consciousness. I go, significance. Genes don't turn on and off by themselves. They're controlled by our response to the world. And as we change our response to the world, we change our genetics. Mm. Then comes down to, is the world offering you growth or is the world offering you protection? I go, then you're interpreting the world and controlling your genes. If the world is offering you growth, you go out there, you're vital, you're healthy, you're active, you're doing all kinds of things, great. But if the world tells you to be afraid, you're gonna die, then you go inside. Mm. Protection is this, growth is this, open, take it in. Protection is this, close it down, protect me. I say, you can't grow when you disconnect yourself from the environment. You can't live inside a shell, you need to connect. So the more we shut ourselves down, the more we're disconnected. The more we're disconnected, then the problem is the genes are going to have all different functions. In protection, they're not offering growth. In protection, they just want you to be isolated. And so all of a sudden, epigenetics says this. It's my consciousness that's the architect that selects the blueprints called the genes to make the structure I need. I said, what structure do you need? I said, what do you believe? I need to protect myself. Oh, then I'm going to do the building and put myself like that. And I go, it was only designed to use for 10 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not 24 7, 365 protection. It's impossible. Can't survive that way. Can't do it. You've shut yourself down. The only way you can live is to be open. Mm -hmm. And I go, so here's the point growth is open and move to a stimulus like love, food, something you enjoy. You're open and you're going out there and you're taking it in. Love, take it in. Food, take it in. Open, go to the stimulus. Open, take it in. Growth. What about protection? Go away from the stimulus and close yourself down. I say, well, first of all, you can't go to a stimulus and away from a stimulus at the same time. You can't do both. You got to be one or the other. Oh, you can't be open and closed at the same time. I say, then the significance is profound, simple, and clear. Growth, you're open to the world and you assimilate the things you need. Protection, you close yourself to the world and block everything out. And therefore I go, well, then how long can I stay in protection? I say, not too long, man, because the longer you stay, you're dis it's a disability in here. You've, you've closed the system down. That's not how it lives. Now it's hiding. And I go, you can't survive without eating. You can't survive without taking in the air. 
You can't survive without eliminating the waste. You have to be connected. And I go, in a state of fear, you shut it down. So I say, you can't be in growth and in protection at the same time. They're different behaviors. And I go, and the world is putting us where? In growth? Uh, absolutely not. The world is, shut it down, folks. Hide in your house. Put the mask on. Don't get too close to the other people. I go, holy crap. Yeah. Because evolution is the opposite. Evolution yeah. is open, creating with the garden, being a gardener, not to pillage the garden, but mm -hmm. to support the garden like the indigenous people of this planet have known and we have forgotten. And I say, well, what's the consequences of us forgetting that we're gardeners? I say, we've stepped and destroyed the garden so much that it is not going to support us. Yeah, and that's what the extinction is all about. That's really powerful, and you know, I think you you talked about um, in, in your biology of belief book is that when a cell isn't in harmony, the first thing you need to do is is it's the environment, stupid. Look at the environment, and and I guess there are so many times where I've just shuddered at the the phrase "it's okay to not be okay," and and I get that concept around mental health, but. I almost want to just say to people, it's the environment, stupid. <laughs> how well, how that, might I phrase that in a more tactile way to, to people to help them realize that? <laughs> well, it, it, it's basically to recognize this. Is the status of my health a reflection of what's going on in, on the inside? And I said, no, the status of your health is a reflection of what's going on on the outside. Yeah. Uh, and if you're not dealing with the outside in, a, in an open way to support and be the gardener, yeah. then you are destroying the garden without contributing anything positive. We're stepping all over it. And the web of life is collapsing. That's why we're facing what is called the sixth mass extinction of life. Human behavior is undermining nature. And it's like, oh yeah, but the indigenous people was the other way around. Nature is a garden, let's go and help nature, okay? You know, I mean, I can just imagine uh, like the Native Americans, when they needed a buffalo, they used every little piece of that buffalo every piece the skin the hooves the bones the meat everything was used and then the white people came west and what did they want buffalo skin and there were thousands of buffalo what did they do shoot thousand buffalo and then do what take the skin leave all the rest of the buffalo on the ground mm. the indians were like what you crazy people you're crazy mm. so we killed them so now there's nobody to say we're crazy anymore you know uh, get rid of the indigenous people why because they're the ones that are spiritual and in connection with the earth and its harmony interesting point wherever britain took over a country they essentially rounded up and defeated the indigenous people because they had a different belief system the indigenous people were the ones that would kill one buffalo the <laughs> people who came over killed a thousand buffalo don't even care about the meat don't care about anything just leave it rot oh beavers we're gonna make beaver hats kill all the beavers make lots of hats and i go so our world is antagonistic to the indigenous people yeah. and therefore the big issue was to eliminate the indigenous people mm. and they did that in america they killed millions of native american indians in canada they did the same thing aboriginals in australia they did the same thing wherever they went okay mm. africa wherever except new zealand mm. i go what's different about new zealand 
the British army couldn't beat the natives. The Maori were much more fierce warriors than the British could ever imagine. Mm. And it's the only country on this planet where the British had to sign a treaty with the natives because they couldn't get rid of them. Mm. I go, and what's the significance today of that? And I go, the Maori Aboriginal voice is part of the government, part of the culture, part of the world. Their spirituality built into the country because it's built from the original Maori who were there. They even have such honoring of the environment that they were the, one of the first countries to do what? Take a piece of the environment that they felt was, you know, their spiritual places, certain like a mountain, like Mount Taranaki, which looks like uh, Mount Fuji in Japan. Uh, uh, and what did they do? They took the area, they marked it off, and then they said, what? We're going to have people represent nature. So while people had government representatives in the government representing them, mm. that three or four different sites in, in New Zealand now are run by actually people who represent nature. Mm. So before you go into Mount Taranaki area, you have to get the approval of the local representatives of nature before you could disturb nature. And all of a sudden, they, that was a, one of the first places on the planet where nature was given a voice for the first time that said, don't destroy this piece of property right here. This is spiritual and safe from you. And the rest of the world says, ah, if you can take something out of it, get it. Mm -hmm. You know, what we do to the American natives we gave them the worst piece of crap land after we pushed them off from the fertile, rich, beautiful places they live and say, you can live in the desert. <laughs> and that was really cool until guess what? Mm. Ooh, you got uranium under your desert. Well, now move you over, go over here because we're going to take the uranium. Uh, and so basically we got rid of indigenous belief and I go, but the indigenous people were the only ones, the Druids in England and, and around that area. We're the only ones that recognize nature as a living system. Yeah, and uh, we we don't own nature. That's a a, a a mission statement of science from Francis Bacon way back. Francis Bacon set the mission statement of science, mm -hmm. which is what to control and dominate nature. That's mm -hmm. the mission. Mm -hmm. And and I said, well, how's that working out? I go, well, we're facing a mass extinction. I don't think it's working out pretty good yeah, because we've undermined nature. To the point it won't support us yeah and that's so really powerful and i think you've touched on this a couple of times often it's follow the money so much of our corporations attack our lack and i was listening to um the honeymoon effect this morning and you were talking about the the inspiration we might get from the noble gases and i think that um so often if uh, maybe this will be for our, our, our listeners to to read up on but if we could lead like a noble gas which means uh, to lack nothing then, then maybe we can, uh, I don't know. What do you think about that? Why, well, that's why... the mission statement. Uh, so let's just say, what the heck are the noble guests? I said, you know, the periodic table of elements, there's 116 or so elements, all different ones in there in columns. And the one column called noble gases is helium, argon, krypton, xenon, strange gases like that. And I go, what's unique about them and versus 90 plus of the other ones? I say, they don't make chemistry. In other words, you don't find like helium chloride. I say, no, helium doesn't form chemistry. I go, why not? 
because of all the atoms, the noble gases, the only ones that have spin perfect balance, they, because the electrons are all perfectly packed in the right order. Take time to talk about it, but <laughs> the order of the electrons is perfect balance. So all atoms spin like tornadoes. If an atom is in balance, it spins like a perfect top. It spins perfectly. But if an atom is out of balance because the number of electrons is too few or too many, then it wobbles like this. And I go, significance is noble gases don't wobble. They spin perfectly. I say, well, what about the wobble ones? I say, well, they don't want to wobble because wobbling is inefficient and breaks down the power of the atom because it's wasting energy. So what's it gonna do? It's gonna find another one that's wobbling. And I say, but when the two come together, now they spin in perfect balance. Yeah. So the other elements on the periodic table make chemistry. They look for another atom to compromise and give them the balance that they didn't have so they wouldn't wobble. So I say, so what's the difference? I say, well, consider this. Of all the other atoms, those are called codependent relationships. Why should sodium hook up with, you know, uh, chlorine? Because when they come together, they're in perfect balance. If the chlorine leaves, then the sodium is wobbly again. So what's the issue is salt, sodium chloride, doesn't want to separate the sodium from the chlorine because if you do, then they're both back into wobbling again. And I say, well, they're all wobbling. I say, what's the noble gas doing? Spinning perfect. I say mm -hmm. the significance of that is it's not influenced by wobbly other atoms. The wobbly atoms and the noble gas, they don't, they're, they're in the same place, but the, the noble gas doesn't respond. Why? It's in perfect balance. I don't need anybody. Okay. And I say, then what else is unique about it? Because the, when I was putting all this together, I said, oh, poor helium and noble gases, they don't ever have a relationship. They're all by themselves. And then I found out, oh my God, lasers are uh, devices with noble gases in the tube uh, of the laser tube. And when they put uh, light into the tube, the noble gases absorb a photons of light. And I go, well, what happens? They were spinning in perfect balance and a photon hits them, that's energy, boom. What happens? It's, it's still spinning, but with more power and perfect balance. And then I said, well, what happens when a noble gas gets hit with a photon? It gets enlightened, photon enlightened. It will hook up with another noble gas. And the two of them come together. Uh, 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 and when the two noble gases come together and they're both in balance and they got a photon, they give off laser light. I go, oh, when we talk about any other atoms, two atoms come together, it's called a dimer, meaning two of them, dimer, come together, two. That's a dimer, two atoms. And I say, well, what happens when noble gases come together? Two noble gases come together. Well, officially, it's a dimer, but there's another name. It's called excitomer. An excitomer means that this combination of two noble gases is high energy and gives off light. So I go, okay. Are you a noble gas in the periodic table or are you another atom in the periodic table? I say, the difference is this. If we're not in balance as yeah. individuals and we represent the 90 other chemical elements in the table, it says we're out of balance. The only way I'm going to find peace in here is to find somebody else 
and make a relationship but then I'm going to call it a codependent relationship because if they break up, then one of them's going to be afraid. No, don't leave. I need you. You can abuse me, but stay. I go, that's codependency. And I say, what about uh, helium? Let's say if it hooks up with another helium, I say, it's not codependency. They're both spin balanced perfect anyway. They can live with each other or they don't have to live with each other, but it doesn't throw them off either way. Uh, and so, I refer to the noble gas as agape love, meaning mm -hmm. everything in my world is in balance. Yeah. I'm a oh. noble gas. Uh, and people have to move out of their imbalance into living in harmony, balance. And when we become that way, then all of a sudden the world is living in love and balance and spin and harmony versus today where wobbling atoms are colliding with each other and creating all kinds of heat and all kinds of other issues i go so what do i want to be i said i don't want to be a wobbly atom i say well, how do i get the spin and balance i go knowledge when i have knowledge i am a free independent element i could hook up with somebody if i want uh even if i hooked up with another atom and they were a crazy atom if they were a crazy atom I say, I'm not going to be wobbly because they're crazy. I'm in balance. So I could like somebody, even if they're a wobbly, but they don't affect me in a wobble. So we have to clear ourselves. So I say, well, how do you clear yourself? I say, we got to learn how to live in harmony with ourselves and with the environment around us. And then, uh, you know, it's important because I see we're, you know, time is a pain right here for us because I want to talk more. But, mm -hmm. but I think if I was going to leave one of the most important caveats in the whole world is, is this. When we were young and growing up in our developmental era, we were being programmed by observing our parents and our community and learning how what behaviors are necessary to be a member of a family and a community by observing them and then emulating their behavior. Mm -hmm. We download their behavior. I go, well, this is really cool, but most of that behavior is critical of us. Parents trying mm -hmm. to get us to do better. That's not good enough. You don't deserve mm -hmm. this. Who do you think you are? And I go, child under seven hears these mm -hmm. things. They're not conscious to interpret, oh, dad's just saying that because I'm not being a good person right now and he wants me to be better. That would be what would be the nice result. A child under seven doesn't understand it, just records it. I say, so what did I get when I was under seven if my parent was being like a coach? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not lovable enough. I go, oh, so your programming that you got under seven wasn't in harmony. I go, relevance. We live 95% of our life from that program. And I go, mm -hmm. so what does it mean if I'm critical of myself because that was the program, not good enough, not smart enough. And then I look at myself, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Why my parents told me that that's my program. And I say, here it is. When you criticize like that, you can't love yourself because the moment you say, I love myself, then all of a sudden the critical, well, I love myself, but I'm not lovable, but I'm not deserving. Okay. And I go, so here's the conclusion, and this is why I want to make it so important. I work in belief change groups where we, we come in and you have to check your beliefs and you do muscle testing, which we could talk about, but it's a valid way of understanding what programs you have in your subconscious. Mm. And here's the point of finally getting to it. Mm. 
The question that I have them asked before we start any of the programs of belief change is, test for the belief, I love myself. I'm gonna give you the answer. Between 80 to 90% of every audience, that means between eight and nine out of 10 people and every audience will not test positive for I love myself. Why? Because of the critical programming they got in the first seven years that criticized their life. And I go, mm -hmm. relevance, most important thing in the world. If I don't love myself, how can you love me? Because if you no. say you love me and then I have to go, well, obviously you don't have quality control. I know I'm not lovable. How can you love me? And then you push them away. And then guess what? Now you're alone and guess what you say? You see? I'm not lovable. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, wow. Before we can become the productive elements of this society, the first thing we have to do is love ourselves. Because mm -hmm. if you don't love yourself, you're not going to work in harmony with yourself or anyone else. And, and since the number is so high, 80 to 90%, I say, you want to fix the problem in the world? Uh, old hippie, old hippie thing. You were way young, Ryan, when I was there during the hippie days, okay? And I go, what was the statement that applies to this right now? And the statement was this. Before you go out and change the world, take care of your own backyard. Mm. What does that mean? It says, well, if I'm not living in harmony with myself, how can I go out and tell the world to live in harmony with itself? I say, I can't do mm. that. I have to be able to be the one that's living in harmony. So when I go out there, I say, look what living in harmony is. It's really great. You want to do it? It's great. Okay. But I can't go out there and not be in harmony with myself and tell them to be in harmony. And that was one of the biggest wake up calls for myself. But I also recognize being just an average person on the street. It's probably the biggest wake up call for all of us yeah. is do I love myself? Because the answer is this, if you do not love yourself, you will not manifest a, a life you want to have on this planet. Because you'll always be questioning, you, you, you know, your own self. Uh, not good enough. Mm. Not level. I want to be, I want to be super respectful of your time. And just first, thank you. Thank you for all the great work that you've done thank you for the inspiration thank you for the impact that you've had on my friend phil who's then subsequently had an impact on me and um i'd just love to know what the phrase always better than yesterday means to you always better than yesterday is that the phrase yep okay well this is what i'm talking about right now i'm i'm looking at my life from a place of not being in love with myself and i'm going it just doesn't work i can't get a relationship off the ground I'm not happy in any place I try. I'm looking for love, but it always is rejecting me, whether it's a love of a person, love of a pet, love of a job. I mean, people think of love as like, oh, it's two people. I go, well, look, you can, if you're a chef, you can be in love with cooking. If you're a gardener, you can be in love, put your hands in the dirt and dig up plants and do all that stuff. You're an artist, you could be creating, you're in love doing this stuff. So being in love means you're in harmony with your world that you're dealing with out there, okay? Disharmony, harmony is health, disharmony is disease. Mm. And when we're in disharmony, the more disharmony we're in, the more our body will reflect the disharmony on the inside. What we are doing on the outside reverberates what's going on on the inside. If you're not in harmony with the world around you, then your health is already compromised. That's a given right now. 
And if your health is compromised, then you become a victim because the so-called COVID, if you're a healthy person, COVID, you can get COVID, go through a miserable 10 days or so of, you know, flu garbage. But after that 10 days, guess what? You are now totally immune to that, mm. that, that system, not like a vaccine. Uh, uh, and I say, well, who are the ones that are getting sick in this COVID plague? I go, compromised people are getting sick. Healthy people are not getting sick. I said, what do you mean compromised? I go, anything that challenges your vitality before the virus even shows up. I say, like what? Diabetes, heart conditions, okay? Uh, obesity is the big one. Like 78% of serious COVID patients are obese. It's like, what a coincidence. I said, it's not a coincidence. 78% is not a coincidence. Yeah. And I go, in the US, because we're a sickly nation, I go, 60% of Americans have one comorbidity. Okay, mm. ooh, that's, that's not good. No, yeah. that's not the issue. 40% of Americans have between two and three simultaneous comorbidities. Oh, they're overweight and they have diabetes, okay? Or they have diabetes and they have a heart issue. Mm. Or they're in stress and they got this. I go, two to three comorbidities in four out of 10 people. When the virus comes, the, the six out of 10 people are not going to have a serious issue with it. No. But the four out of 10 people, they're already compromised before the damn virus showed up. Who got sick? Not healthy people. Compromised people. I say, you want to make the compromise worse? I go, what? Watch the news. <laughs> because that will then do what? Cause more stress hormones, which do what? Shut down the immune system. The more you watch the news, the more open you are for COVID infection. And, and so we are blaming the COVID for, ooh, that's a lethal virus. I go, no, it's not. Mm. If you're a weak person, then you got a problem. Mm. If you're a healthy person, you could get through this and come out the other side and be perfectly immune forever from this COVID thing. If you don't get the COVID, then you, you're not really building up an immune protection from it. So at some point, we all got to get the damn COVID so we can get it over with and get the immune protection. Why? Because the vaccine does not work, period. One doesn't work. What did it, what was the original definition of why the vaccine? It will prevent the serious consequences of a COVID infected patient. I go, the serious consequences, I say, oh, does the vaccine stop you from getting COVID? Nope. Does the vaccine stop you from transmitting COVID? Nope. But if you do get COVID and you're in the hospital under serious conditions, the vaccine could have helped. I said, well, who are the ones that are in, in serious conditions? I said, these were already compromised before the vaccine, you know, before the virus got there. And so that we're living in a belief that the virus is so powerful, it's taking us. And I go, no, we are so weak that the virus is taking us. Mm. The, vi the virus is eliminating the weakest people. Who? Mm. The oldest people. Greatest percentage of COVID death is in old people in nursing homes. I go, oh, that's the definition of a person who's already compromised. Mm. If they're living in a nursing home, they're already unhealthy. That's already started the game. They're the most susceptible. And then you just go down the list and then say, who are the most compromised? Mm. And then you start to find, oh, obesity, diabetes, heart problems, stress levels. These are characters of the compromise. And if you're in the, and you're having problem with these things, 
You're the one that has to take care of your health. Me, in this particular case, I'll just say, I don't give a damn. <laughs> Why? I'm good. Mm -hmm. I got a healthy system. I love myself. Mm -hmm. I got a great, you know, it's all working beautifully. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> Bruce, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your heart and your mind. <laughs> I will share all your good links and the links to your book within the show notes. So just be honored if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self. Yeah, I could tell you what it is. We're facing an evolutionary upheaval. I say, what is the practical means of surviving this upheaval? And the answer is learn to live in community with each other and with nature. Because when we become balanced, like a noble gas, we're all powerful. Walk across hot coals. Only do it if your consciousness is right. Uh, I talk about people in the South, religious, work themselves up in a religious ecstasy, and they do something called testify. And I go, what is testify? Testify, they do something no normal person in their right mind would ever do, but they do it because they believe God protects them. So they play with poisonous snakes, like rattlesnakes and things like that. Most of the time, although there are exceptions, most of the time they get bitten by these snakes. They don't have any fallout, any bad problem. And I go, oh, that's cool. And I go, here's the one that really is the one, if you get it, it's like, ah! And that is, they drink strychnine poison in toxic doses to demonstrate that God will protect them. And they drink this poison and have no harmful consequences. You go, you're drinking outright damn poison because God is there? I say, no, the belief, <laughs> God mm. is there. And I say, it's the belief. You want to walk across the hot coals? You better damn well have the belief that that's not a problem and you're going to the other side. But you can't walk across the coals and get in the middle and say, can I really do <laughs> The moment yeah. you question is the moment you get burned because you lost the power of that power of belief because we are creators. And that's what the whole damn story comes down to because we have always been led to believe we are the victims of the world. I say, no, you are the creator of this world. And I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. Religion is manipulation, a business of spirit. Mm. Oh, join our religion. We're gonna help you spiritually. Give us 10%. I go, oh, <laughs> like this, you know? Uh, 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 and the idea about this is, when you're very spiritual, you realize who you are. And I go, you don't even listen to like in the Christian world. They don't even listen to the philosophy of Jesus. And he said, what? He said, all the miracles that I can do, you can do them better than I can do. Them. Mm -hmm. so, well, with that admonition, how come we're not doing the creating of miracles? Because I'm afraid. I go, well, then, <laughs> then you don't have that power anymore. You lost it. And it's a wake-up call, and I'm glad you're there, Ryan, because to me it's very important. I, you and I could talk alone in a room, and this would be great and exciting. But I want to thank you because you provide an audience, just any one person who stops long enough to say, "Wait a minute, let me look. Let me look into this. Let me check it." Those are the people that have the first opportunity to get out of the problems and start manifesting the world that they want. Can you do it? And I go, well, that's why I wrote the book called The Honeymoon Effect. I say, because we've been programmed and we're living out the programs that we got in the first seven years by observing our parents who told us how weak or how wherever we are, we live by those programs. 
And I go, every day your life is blah, blah, blah. So every day, blah, 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 blah. And then you meet somebody and you fall in love. There's the beautiful part. Most of us have done it at least once. You meet somebody, you fall in love. 24 hours later, you're living heaven on earth. Oh my God, I'm so in love. Everything is beautiful. The food, the music is great. Even the job's not so crappy anymore. I'm in love. I go, 24 hours? You went from blah, 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 and 24 hours later, heaven on earth? And I go, it's not an accident. It is a demonstration of the first time you stopped playing the negative programs mm. and you started living from creative programs. Mm. I want to create heaven on earth. Your partner wants to create heaven on earth. You mm. fall in love. You are now creating heaven on earth, okay? And I go, why? Because you stop playing the programs that we play 95% of the day. And I say, program? Yeah, what you learned in the first seven years of your life. Mm. Uh, and the Jesuits, uh, you know, they've told their followers for 400 years. They mm. said, give me a child until it is seven, I will show you the man. People didn't understand what the yeah. hell they were talking about. Mm. I can tell you what they were talking about. Whatever program you got in the first seven years, 95% of your life is coming from that program. If that program has uh, weakness, disabilities built into it, disempowerment, self-sabotaging behaviors, then 95% of your life is coming from that. The conscious creative mind, only 5%, and that's the one that has wishes and desires. Mm. So when you fall in love, it's the equivalent of taking the red pill in the movie, The Matrix. You stop playing the program. I said, what happens when you start playing, stop playing the program? Then you start creating with what? Conscious mind, wishes and desires. So immediately, blah, 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 blah. I stopped, that's the red pill. I fell in love. 24 hours later, I'm not playing programs anymore. I'm creating what? The miracles. I'm creating love. I'm creating happiness. I love the world. I love everything. I go, 24 hours? I go, that's all it took to stop playing the program because that's what science has recognized. We do not play the programs when we fall in love like that for a period of time. You say, what's that period of time? That's called the honeymoon. I say, then what happens? You go back, you start playing the programs and the honeymoon's gone, baby. It was all blah, 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 like it was before you got here and now it's back. Uh, and there's a secret into that because it says, well, anytime you stop playing the program, you can have heaven on earth. If it's that, then why am I playing the program? Because you don't even know you have the damn program. That's why you're playing the program. <laughs> mm, I want to be super respectful of your time. I could uh, say talk to you all day. Um, but Dr. Bruce Lipton, it's been an honor and privilege to hear some of your stories. Um, very, very grateful for your time, my friend. Ryan, I am more thankful because, as I said, you're bringing together some people so uh, the message can go a little further. Everybody, anyone who picks up the message is moving from the conventional world into the creative world. That's what it's all about. You are a creator. You've been told that by religion and everything. I don't care, but you're not paying attention. And if you're not paying attention, all you do is live in the world of the program of fear and you're scared and I'm weak and I have no power. And I go, that's a program, my friend. Mm -hmm. Out of it, we all start walking free. And when we walk free, evolution is the consequence of that because imagine several, eight billion people creating not the world of blah, 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 but seven or eight billion people all of a sudden wake up and it's honeymoon. 
they all wake up going, oh my God, life is beautiful. I love my life. Oh, it's beautiful. Evolution. There it is. Love it. Take care, my friend. Thank you so much, Ryan. So deeply appreciate being with you. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.